You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Well, hi again. My name is Gail Parker, and I am very glad to hobble up here and be with you. In um, many years ago now, um, Sam Wells preached a baccalaureate sermon at Duke University. And he started this message to almost grads and their families um, talking about this man who had graduated, I think he said about 10 years before that, and um, very bright young man who uh, went into consulting work on the East Coast, spent a bit of time in Wall Street, had a spell out West, learning how companies worked, and then he and some buddies started their own company. It was tough at first, but soon it became quite a success. He had a chance to sell it to his original employer, but it meant too much to him to sell it too soon. Well says the company was his life, his identity, his pride, his joy. And then it went wrong. The company slid into bankruptcy like a sandcastle engulfed by the incoming tide. The young man saw his dream disappear and his security, his prestige, and his self-esteem melt away with it. Months later, his mother and sister had yet to find a way even to gently refer to the subject with him. His life is shrouded in silence and dominated by the F word, failure. Most of us don't want to fail. It's devastating when we do. And the truth is God created us to build and to create and to develop and to innovate and to learn and grow and teach and he He created us for success. Uh, The Bible uses the word fruit, to bear fruit. And in fact, Jesus says in the book of John, we are called to bear much fruit, fruit that will last. We are in a series of sermons called Enduring Questions, and the question for this morning is, can fruit come from failure? Here's a spoiler alert right up front. The answer is yes. (laughs) Um, Listen as I read the scripture for this morning. It comes from Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to his gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and I still find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word and for how timeless it is. I pray now that my words would be faithful to yours and that your word would not return void but would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And I pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thomas Merton once said, people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. If you spend your whole life climbing the wrong wall when you get to the top, you're in the wrong place. You're not where you wanted to go. So how do we put our, our ladder on the right wall when it comes to success and failure. I want to talk about the fact that we, we need to remain or live or abide, make our home in Christ's love. That always, 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 always we turn to Jesus. And then just let the Lord do his work in you. That's the third one. Remain or live, abide in Christ's love. This passage um, begins with the owner of this vineyard ticked off that he's got this tree that for three years has pr produced no fruit. And he's, he's just, he's done with it. He tells the gardener, get rid of it. It's waste and soil. Now, what fruit is he looking for? The Bible talks a lot about this. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One comes from Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the traditions in which I was brought up, Christian-wise, um, they talked about the fact that we should bear fruit, and it, it, it looked like this. It was character, conduct, and um, converts, the three Cs. Character, conduct, and converts. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then just a few verses later, in verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Make your home there. God expects us to bear fruit, the fruit of love the fruit that comes from abiding in him, the, the, the fruit that looks like people who love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, and their neighbor as their self. Now, um, Mark Laberton tells this story that I really like. It's in, in his book, Called. A man once appeared at his office door, and in so many words he said, I'm very busy, very successful, don't really have time for this, but I wonder if we could talk for five minutes. Well, by all means, Laverton said. 
well, he went on, my wife has been attending this church, and now at dinner she's talking about Jesus, and I don't know anything about Jesus, so I thought I'd come by for a few bullet points about Jesus. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I can help you. For one thing, I'm not very good with bullet points. And for another, even if I could give you some good bullet points about Jesus, I'm afraid it could have a way of getting into your life that would cause you to rethink your power and your success and your money and your marriage and your family and pretty much everything. Oh, I don't want to do that. Not at all. I just wanted a few bullet points about Jesus. Laverton said, well, how about changing the subject to dinner? It's really a matter of what wall your ladder is leaning on, isn't it? You know, for the young Duke graduate, I'm not sure that, that I can say exactly what wall his ladder was leaning on, but certainly it had to do with his identity in his work. It had to do with work. And... It was everything to him that he succeeded at that. And when, he, when his business failed, he felt he was a failure. Now, those are two very different things. We can be involved in a business that fails. But that does not mean we are a failure. You are always the beloved of God, always, whether you succeed or whether you fail, you are the beloved, you are the beloved, you are not your work. Tim Keller um, was being interviewed on MSNBC several years ago, speaking uh, obviously to a secular audience. And he said this, when you make your work your identity, if you're successful, it destroys you because it goes to your head. If you're not successful, it destroys you because it goes to your heart. It destroys your sense of self-worth. Faith in Christ gives you an identity that's not in work or accomplishment. And it gives you insulation against the weather changes. If you're successful, you stay humble. If you're not successful, you have some ballast. Work is a great thing when it's a servant instead of a Lord. As you seek to do your best work in whatever it is you do, whether it's in your parenting or in being in business or counseling or uh, design or teaching or whatever it is, is the ladder you're climbing leading you to be more deeply loved in Christ and to love others more deeply in whatever it is that you're doing. When you get to the top of that ladder, will you be producing fruit that lasts beyond your own life? If we're to make our home abide, remain in Christ every day, then there are just very basic things we need to do to help us do that. That daily we read scripture, daily we pray, 
daily we examine, it, wh what wall is my ladder leaning against? Do I need to move it again? Um, we practice serving. We practice doing justice. We practice whenever given the opportunity to share our faith. Um, it, it, we're, Christ is developing us in our conduct and our character. And I don't really like, I know that the third C is convert, but really the Bible says make disciples, not, not merely converts. That's just the first stage. And so uh, that's how, how we bear fruit that lasts, right? It's going to live on beyond us. If you're seeking success, edges out these basic practices in your life. Be honest with yourself about what wall your ladder is leaning against. Whatever it is that has grabbed onto your heart. And then use that as an opportunity to turn toward Jesus. The Bible uses the word repent. It just means turn around. Change the direction that you're going in. And put some better habits in your life so that you can abide or remain in Christ in this day and then the next day and the next day and the next day and so on. Live in Christ's love. That's the first thing. Always turn toward Jesus. Always. This parable comes right after they've been discussing two current events of the day. The first one is that the Romans killed some Galileans while they were worshiping. They were at a, a place of worship. The other one is that this freak accident where a a huge tower fell on people, and 18 people died in it. Jesus uses the opportunity in, in, with these current events. He uses the opportunity to correct a misconception. Uh, did these bad things happen, these horrible things happen, because these people were bad, and they, they deserved it somehow. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. <clears throat> bad things happen in this life. They just do. This is the world we live in. I was thinking, reflecting on that this week and thinking, you know, I think the same thing could be said about failure. I think sometimes we fail because we screw up, we make bad choices, and I mean, that's a reality, right? But sometimes we fail because of things that are out of our control. And I think often it's maybe a combination of both. Um, I was thinking in scripture about an Old Testament event and then also a New Testament. The Old Testament's from the book of Ruth. It begins with this Jewish woman, Naomi, who's married. She and her husband have a couple of sons, and they move out of <coughs> Israel and to Moab. The sons marry, and, um, and then all the men die, and they're, they're just devastated. In this instance, life has failed them. But they're faced with then when, when life has failed them, what choices do they make? Do, then they, do they make choices that fail or do they turn toward the Lord? And what happens is Naomi says to both girls, you go back to your home. And one does. And one says, no, please don't make me go back. She says, where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. 
Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. For Ruth, she realizes there's more than just self-preservation and self-protection. And it's an incredible act of, of self-sacrifice, but also loyalty and steadfast love to this old woman. And, um, and it's a way, when we look at her, what we see is someone who turns toward the Lord in this, in this time where life has in every way fallen apart. And then in the New Testament, I was thinking about this time when there had been all these disciples of Jesus. They were, they'd been following him for quite a while. And he says some things, and some things happen, and they just leave in droves. They just reject him. And he turns to Peter and he says, are you going to go too? And Peter says these words, Lord, where would we go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. He turns toward the Lord. I mean, it's as though he says, Lord, even if you fail, your failure is greater than anybody else's success. I'm sticking with you. <clears throat> There's an urgency to turn in all these, the first 13 verses. There's an urgency to repent. In fact, when they're discussing those two current events and the people are going, is it because they did worse things? Is that why they died? Jesus says, no, no, no. Unless you repent, you're going to meet the same end. Turn toward me in faith is what he's saying. Everybody needs to turn toward me. There's no worse or better, but there is an urgency. And there's an urgency in this, in this text as well. Give me a year, the gardener says, but if, if it doesn't produce fruit, you can, it's okay. You can cut it down. But the difference is that this parable is infused with grace. Because implied here is if, the, if you just give me a year, it's going to produce fruit. You give me a year and you let me dig the manure all around in the roots. It just watch. You know, failure is awful. I don't want to fail. I would bet there's not one person in this room that wants to fail. But if we're in Christ, it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of our stories. Christianity, at the heart of Christianity, is the forgiveness of sins. Our life in Christ begins the day we say, I've failed, and I'm sorry, and I need a Savior. Would you forgive me? It's like the 12-step program where you only get in it when you can say, you humble yourself and you get the courage to say, I failed. And at that point, you have the opportunity to secure your ladder on the right wall, the wall of Christ's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. Give me a year, the gardener says, and the gardener in this parable is Jesus. Give me some time. Give me some time with him. 
there will be a day, and we don't know when it will be, that, it, that we will die. And we won't have a chance to turn toward him anymore. That's the urgency in this text. But the grace in this text is you get another chance. Just let God work in your life. Let God at you. <laughs> he hasn't given up on you. Don't you give up on you. He hasn't given up on us. So we're not going to throw in the towel and give up on our calling to make disciples. Don't cut it down. Give it a year. Give me a year. I love it that it's manure. And I can't tell you how many things I want to say about that. <laughs> but I just couldn't come up with something I thought was appropriate. But I, 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 the image is just priceless to me. He's going to put manure of all things. Manure. Eugene Peterson in his book, Tell It Slant, says, Manure, it's such a slow solution. Manure doesn't rank high in the world's economies. It's refuge, garbage. We organize efficient, sometimes elaborate systems to collect it, haul it away, get it out of sight and smell. But the observant and wise know that this apparently dead and despised waste is teeming with life. Enzyme. Numerous microorganisms. Friends, it's the stuff of resurrection. I read um, a memoir this month that has made a big impact on me. It's called Lit, L-I-T. And in it, the author, uh, the author, by the way, is a professor at Syracuse University. She's an author, she's written a bunch of books, she's a poet. Um, all her life she's been writing in journals, which is how she could write this memoir. She grew up with two alcoholic parents and her mother was really emotionally quite abusive in her drunkenness. <clears throat> she describes in her own life her decline into really serious alcoholism herself. The memoir details her struggle to, she, she's in and out like of, of AA and she struggles horribly with sobriety. She's in and out of that. Um, she describes this incredible AA community that puts up with her and supports her and hangs in there with her through this whole thing. And um, I, it's, it's years and years of, of her off and on trying to get her ladder and keep it on the right wall. And she just, um, she's so honest about the struggle that it was for her. And years and years that the Lord patiently worked the magic of the manure into the roots of her identity. She doesn't, those are my words, not hers. But, um, but it's just beautiful in this book how over the time her identity and her character and her conduct change as she turns her life in fits and struggles, but she turns her life to Jesus. Well, near the end of the book, she describes this time where her mother's now in her 80s, and um, Mary 
cleans out the house that her mother's lived in for 50 years, goes through all this stuff, gets rid of stuff. She and her sister have bought her mother a smaller home where they can take better, closer to them where they can take care of her. So she spent all this time cleaning out the house. Her mother's been moved into the new house. She arrives home after this long, grueling day to her mother's house, and her mother reams her, just screaming and yelling. She's furious. She accuses Mary and her sister of horrible things as they ripped her out of her life of 50 years and made her live in this house. And, and Mary says that she turned into her old, ugliest, ugliest, ugliest self, and she verbally attacks back. The way she writes about this, I mean, what she says is horrible, but it's so funny the way she says it that I laughed out loud. <laughs> but after the blow-up, she remembers this Catholic nun who has been mentoring her in her, in her sober life. And um, before she went on this trip to move her mother out, the nun did something she'd never done before. She just felt God had impressed upon her to give Mary these two particular scripture references for her to read while she was gone. Well, Mary had not read them, but she'd kept the references. So she's mortified at what she's, this thing that she's just done to her frail elderly mother. And she's rummaging through the boxes that she's brought to her mother's house looking for her mother's Bible. And when she finds it, the first reference is in the Old Testament. She looks up this reference in the Old Testament. And when she finds it, it's the only passage that she's come to that is marked in blue. Her mother, years ago, marked this particular passage in blue. Well, she reads it, and it's very meaningful to her. And then she goes to the New Testament, and she flips through lots and lots of pages. No, none of them are marked. And she gets to that passage, and it's marked in blue. She immediately knelt in prayer. Mock that experience as random chance if you like. But from then on, it feels as if I were made from all the possible shapes a human might take, not to prove myself worthy, but to refine the worth I'm formed in. Acknowledge it, own it, and spend it on others. Jesus was still patiently working that slow working maneuver into manure into her identity and into her life. Years ago, many, many years ago, Tom and I were, we flew to Sheffield, England, where he had, was doing a PhD work. He'd worked for seven years. We were full of anticipation. Everybody in our families, our church knew we were coming back with a PhD. And he went in to defend it, and they didn't give him a PhD. They gave him another master's. He was devastated. He said to me, the minute we got out of the building, I failed. It was devastating. But he turned toward the Lord, and he can't say this, but I can tell you this, that over the years, God worked that magic of his manure. And he is a more patient, compassionate, grace-filled man 
I think in part because God had that opportunity to do his work in the soil of Tom's life. Friends, get your ladder on the right wall. Live, abide in Christ, in his love. Always, always, always turn toward him. And then just let him do his work. Would you pray with me? God bless you.